I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy 15, and all of the Amazing Spider-Man annuals, but I still don't think the last of those three things count. And I'm Dapper Dan Gvazdan, and again, quite sick. Uh, people who listen to the show long enough know I have a pattern of getting quite sick when the winter settles in, but... I also own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the Amazing Spider-Man annuals, which I say definitely count. But for me, Amazing Fantasy 15 remains a fantasy. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk. Mark, right now I feel like I have thousands of pounds of lead on top of me, and right out of reach is an antidote to all of my sicknesses. My goodness, Dan. And, you know, between that and me running a marathon last weekend, this this review uh, is is a is a tad late. So I, I, I tip my hat to you for powering through, you know, so I could go selfishly run 26.2 miles in another state last week. Anyway, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. Of course, also you can subscribe to the uh, Amazing Spider Talk Substack for some B-book reviews, comic book nostalgia, and just and just plain old fun in written form. Remember writing and reading? You can do it there on the Substack. It's as if it was new, and yet it's not. But the AmazingSpider.substack.com <laughs> is where you can find it, or just look up Amazing Spider Talk on Substack. And you'll get our weekly, bi-weekly uh, newsletter that we're sending out, which is probably more writing than anybody wants on Spider-Man. But you're listening to a Spider-Man show, so chances are you're going to enjoy it a lot. Speaking of which, this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you also want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep our podcast going, including our Substack. Go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, Number 36. This issue was is written by Zeb Wells. The cover artwork is by Ed McGinnis and Marcio Menez. And the interior artwork is by Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Farmer, and covers by Marcio Menez. And, of course, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on October 25th. 2023. Mark, 
It's time to bring it back. Our rec rap recap. Tell us what happened in this issue. Well, I, I, I got to give you uh, like an opportunity to go in your hyperbaric chamber and restore your voice. So I will I will take my go. sweet time Shoot. in this recap. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We open in Queens. A fist knocks on the door and a meek gentleman answers. The knocker is conducting an investigation. He needs the person to look in the attic. And before he refuses, he wants the person to know that while he looks like a private investigator, he's actually wearing a disguise. Dear God, the man says. And that man speaks for all of us when we get the official return of Wreck Rap. Woo! Woo! Don't woo, Daniel. Hurt yourself. The man accuses Rekrap of destroying property across the, stri- the city. But before Rekrap can defend himself, the Grave Goblin shows up. Rekrap never hides except when in disguise, so it's throwing hands time. That brings us over to the Limbo Embassy and Mayor Luke Cage. I mean, look, you can try and pretend this is an improvement over Mayor Eric Adams, and I would want to ask you, is Luke Cage a vegan? Anyway, <laughs> Luke is meeting with Madeline Pryor and Spider-Man about the ghoul and demon problem in New York City. Madeline is unimpressed with Spider-Man's negotiation tactics, and I'm equally unimpressed by all the references this story is making to Dark Web. So color us both unimpressed. As it turns out, Madeline has hired an agent to hunt down these delinquent demons. Spidey and Cage debrief before Cage tells Spidey to hold back since Wilson Fisk laws from his reign of terror make Spider-Man an illegal superhero. Love the civics lesson here, Marvel. Anyway, Cage goes on about how hard it is for him to change the laws, but in that exact moment, he sends me 11 text messages asking me to donate to his re-election campaign and reminds me if I show up in off-year elections and vote for city council, maybe, just maybe, he can submit a bill that will change the law back before the Magia party filibusters it. Anyway, this talk of politics is depressing (laughs) me more than the earlier talk of Dark Web, so let's just get on with the recap. New scene, and we get some close-up visuals of some eyes, and speaking of wacky political references from Amazing Spider Talk, it's Silvermane! Love those polls for Silvermane lately, Dan. Anyway, Hammerhead, (laughs) Ed McGinnis is having way too much fun drawing a disembodied geriatric head, and Silvermane also reminds us that the Magia will be reborn, and we're going to make Magia great again? I don't know. Anyway, back to Limbo in the Garden of Jagged Souls and Madeline is tending to the soil in high heels. She summons the repossessor and collectors everywhere are getting excited. New character. (laughs) Woo! Um, Spider-Man is now in Queens, back at the house where we started. He's trying to get a rundown of what exactly happened there. Cut over to the East Village, and Rec Rap is investigating and licking the side of the building, and really, who among us? Spidey is none too happy to see Rec Rap around, but before they can more fully express their feelings, Dr. Octoball shows up, and we get another throwdown. That's when the Repossessor shows up, and very scarily absorbs Octoball and spits him out, causing him immense pain. Rekrap is very afraid the same thing is going to happen to him, and despite Spidey's insurances to the contrary, the repossessor assures Rekrap that, in fact, that same fate is waiting for him. So Spider-Man saves his good buddy, old Rekrap, 
But then the repossessor says he knows Spidey, and the last panel is him uttering the words, Parker. So that is your rec rap recap with lots of political intrigue. Thanks to my scatological brain, Dan. Way to be a New Yorker, Mark. Uh, well, Mark, <laughs> the last time we saw rec rap, I suggested that as much as I loved rec rap's appearance during dark web, and that I thought he had razorback levels of appeal that I didn't need to ever see him again. Now we have a story with Rec Rap as the co-lead. Was I right in my initial reaction, or are you craving more Rec Rap after this new story? Um, <laughs> that's a great question, Dan. Because like I, I, I do wonder what a, how a character like Razorback would perform in like the era of social media and the internet. I have a feeling he would be around for more than just that one story. Yeah, so like that 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 is worth noting from the from the get go. With that said, I am a bit of an old school fan, as um, I'm sure many of you can uh, understand from me, from my opinions over the years. I look, I, I, this has nothing. You know, putting aside my thoughts on this individual story, which I thought was fun. I think we, you know, like you said, when we saw Rec Rap, we were like, Rec Rap's great. I never need to see him again. And I still stand by that. Like, I, 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 like I, I, I think that this is a character that is going to get old very quickly if they keep going to the well. I, I, I mean, so far, so good. But like, I, I, I was not sitting there being like, Rec Rap, you know, like if, if he showed up maybe three years from now, I'd be like, oh, I missed Rec Rap. Cool. But this is like... I, I can see myself wearing thin with this story very quickly uh, through one issue we're fine. But well, anyway, did, did you did you were you longing for rec rap? Uh, were you reconsidering your initial opinion? I do worry like you that the joke is going to outstay its welcome. And I know some like we're going to hear wildly different opinions on this issue, because if you don't find rec rap funny, you're going to hate this. Like there's really no way around it, you know. I rec rap just so happens to be exactly the kind of thing I find funny in superhero comics, you know, which is like, I don't care where rec rock came from. I don't care what, how he works. He's just big, dumb, confident and very assured of himself. And normally I hate jokes that point out the joke, but since that's rec rock's whole shtick, I kind of love it. Like, it's just so dumb and assured in its dumbness that I like it. And the more it leans to, like, Raphael's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in in form, like, whether it be the trench coat and the top hat or and the teeth and whatever, like, I, I am here for Rec Rap. He is a sweet, innocent angel, and I'm going to protect him. He's like my new son in the pages of this book. So... I thought it was really, really entertaining. I'm not sick of it yet. I could see myself turning, but it, this is exactly the kind of dumb confidence that I like. Uh, frankly, I, I'm glad to have like an upbeat, kind of funny character in this book after the events of so many dark stories on this title. You know, in, in, in concurrence with what you just said there, like, I mean, this is despite the fact that I, you know, a few minutes ago was like, ah, you know, maybe in a couple of years I would have more of a longing for him. I mean, in, in the cadence of these issues and storylines right now, like this is a good switch up. 
You know, like it's, you know, regardless of whether it's rec rap driving the humor or not, like this is even I think even more so than the Doc Ock story that McGinnis did. This was like coming off of the the Craven story, this or Craju story. uh, This definitely felt like a good opportunity to like just be uh, uh, irreverent again. So I think we're talking about what this is going to be this and two other issues after that. So correct. Issue arc, yeah. I think mm-hmm. so like, you know, that seems fine, <laughs> you know, not to do like fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice or whatever, but it's just like, okay, but really for real guys, like don't, don't, don't push it. Like, come on. <laughs> like, I mean, dark web for me is still like the, the, the nadir of this entire volume of 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 stories so far uh you know in terms of volume six dark web was more like this maybe it's just getting rid of chasm right now (laughs) maybe that's the difference i think that i would have been more into dark web because it's just like okay this is like really absurd you know we got the grave goblin and dr octoball and the repossessor and all that it is like you said it's 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 the kind of humor where it's it's very on the nose and very obvious and very leaning into it but it's also not pretending to be different. I guess that was part of what annoyed me about Dark Web was this was clearly what the book was. But like then there was this huge subplot where like, you know, Chasm's like trying to take Peter's soul and cast him to purgatory or limbo, whatever you want to call it. And it just felt weirdly out of place like we were trying to do too much. You know, I also I, feel I, like I feel the know, same. I feel the same way, Mark. And I think the secret here is that the stakes are basically zero, you know, like. And, and and that's what matters is like we can have fun with it because I'm not being asked to believe in anything except for the silly world of Limbo and that Spider-Man has taken like a liking to rec rap in some way. Like enough that he doesn't want to see him devoured before his eyes. The role that rec rap is playing in this is very believable if that makes sense like you know like it's it's still confined to this weird pocket of the universe of the marvel universe um it's not like it's not like wreck rap the avenger i just gave them an idea and i instantly regretted saying that out loud uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway so when that happens you can blame me but no yeah, no, no it, but it, like it, like it, let's be clear about it wreck rap is like a vigilante from limbo who has modeled himself after Spider-Man and so is, you know, as a counterculture hero, like he is going out to peacefully round up these villains in the manner that Spider-Man would. And that's really fun. Like it's silly and goofy and fun. And I, 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 I'm here for it. Like that's, that, that's really funny to see him go about this. I mean, the scene where he shows up at this guy's house in full trench coat, and announces that he's in disguise. It's really funny. Like, give me a lot more. I want to see his toes drawing sketches on notepads and various things. Like, this guy is funny. Yeah. Between the opening scene and then, you know, in terms of non-rec rap stuff, um, the, the the scene between Spidey and Luke Cage and, and Madeline, I think, was were, were, were two of the funnier bits that we've gotten on this run so far. And, and you know, we've talked a lot about this, like McGinnis, like this kind of writing, it just lends itself to it. He he really he really does a great I, I, I have 
really come to appreciate Ed McGinnis, the the comic book artist, uh, over the last two arcs. I mean, the, I thought he was great on the Doc Ock run, and I think he's great here because it's it's just so over the top. Like the like even like the silver mane head it, with the with the uh, you know. And we're here, we're we're advancing gang war. I mean, like that's still happening, and 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 pushing those pieces ever so slightly forward in the midst of this very absurd story. But like everything is just so. You know, it's it's. I don't want to say Ryan Otley s because Otley still has a very different aesthetic, but it's just so over the top and so characterized that it just works. And 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 I'm I'm a big fan of it here. Why are Doctor Octoball's tentacles so phallic? Like I just I just have to ask. <laughs> like, like I can't escape from it. It's like oh my goodness. Like come on, McGinnis. I I agree with you. I I think. That maybe Dark Web was a realization that McGinnis is not a big event guy. Like, he is, do a small, funny story with him. He is a commuter cometh. He is a, you know, big, silly, goofy villains kind of guy. Have him in the Stegron, brings the dinosaurs to life and storms him out of the Natural History Museum arc. That's his kind of thing. And I think he kind of nails it here. I mean, that splash page, which could have been a double page spread of the grave goblin attacking uh, um, wreck rap is really amazing. I just thought there was a lot of nice stuff to look at here. I think the staging of the Luke Cage, Madeline Pryor, Spider-Man seems a little bit odd with Luke Cage on that small chair. Maybe it's meant to feel a little bit odd. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 look, I would pick up of all the miniseries we're getting in the world of Spider-Man, we're not getting a rec rap miniseries. I would pick mm. up an Ed McGinnis rec rap miniseries. Like, I, I think that would be really fun. We're just giving Marvel all the ideas tonight, Dan. So yeah, I, know, I mean, be, be, I would do it in, in lieu of another book, you know, like, yeah. I'm not disliking a lot of the books out of the spider office, but like, I think I would like a rec rap more than a lot of what we we are getting. Say Spider Boy, Dan. I know you're a fan. Yeah, uh, I just, look. <laughs> I, I'll just say it here. I don't get Spider Boy, and we'll definitely talk about this later, probably this episode. But that's a a pitch for a character I don't get, and a style of humor that I don't think stands out all that much. Whereas Rec Rap's humor is really unique. I don't know that I've seen characters do that kind of thing. And again, it's not to say I want a lot more. I was the guy that said, if he never showed up again, he would be a sweet treat. What do you think about like Zeb's writing for McGinnis? Do you think he's like, this is very different than that Dr. Octopus arc. Do you think it's just as strong like in how he's handling it? Yeah, I do. I think I think that they've kind of developed uh, a chemistry here. If memory serves, even in the Doc Ock arc. We came around on it, but the first installment was kind of like, eh, and, and, and I think part of it was because it, it was coming off of dead language and they were still trying to kind of address that while going into this more visually absurd storyline with Dr. Octopus. And, and again, like this time, we really didn't, you know, you know, for better or for worse, and I, I happen to think for better, just like, again, like if you're going to do a story like this, just do it, stop like trying to I, I don't know but I, I I just feel like they just went right into it they hit the ground running and I and then, yeah I, I feel like they have a certain chemistry um, going now and yeah I mean maybe you say it's you know McGinnis maybe can't juggle a bigger event 
I still think the 800 pound gorilla or elephant or whatever you want to say in the room is the fact that we don't have Ben Riley to deal with here. I, I think that he really was kind of a, a, the anchor pulling that entire story down. Maybe we would have gotten something a little more coherent without having to resolve that storyline. I do think it's weird here that we don't follow up on any of the events of the past arc, given how emotionally traumatizing that was. But I also don't mind it. You know, I think about after the death of Gwen, the book kind of quickly moved on to other silly stuff. And I I will give Zeb Wells credit for this. I think I think I've said this on episodes before. I think he's really excellent at the slow weave of setting up future storylines um, without making them feel like feel like real interruptions to the book. I mean, yeah, the Hammerhead Silvermane thing comes out of nowhere, but this book itself, this story, is already fairly grounded. You know, you have like an investigator character, you have like the mayor of New York discussing like politics and the rules around superheroes and supervillains in the city. There's even a nod to Randy Robertson getting back out and picketing again. Like, I I think this is, like, fairly well integrated, and that's not an easy thing to do to pivot across all these variety of tones and still feel like they are incorporating themselves into setting up stories down the line or, um, you know, building up to a major event. I mean... I think we gave Nick Spencer a lot of crap about his introduction to the Craven uh, hunted story where it was like a page or two per issue for what seemed felt like forever or even just to the reveal of Craven. And here it's like, let's just get it out of the way. Like the gang boss who's instructing Hammer Hammerhead is Silvermane. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know that we know that this is this is pointing to gang war rather than trying to be a mystery box about it, which, you know, again, I, I, I maybe it's, it's a low bar, but I, I, I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that we're clearing the low bar of, of not having another mystery box about what, what's happening with the gang war. You know, <laughs> like what, wait, there's, there are gangs who could be in the gangs. I mean, it's just like, look, it, it's the Magia, it's Hammerhead, it's Silvermane, whatever. Go, keep going. <laughs> I, I will address my eternal plea that the shocker's place within the Magia from Superior Foes is acknowledged in this gang war while knowing that it won't be. I, I did really enjoy this scene between Hammerhead and Silvermane. And I remain, I, I, I'm doubtful that Hammerhead, especially by the way he looks in these few pages, I think he's got something else up his sleeve. I, I, I think he still made a show of Madame Mask's death and he's going to pull a coup on Silvermane. I just, I think it's time for Hammerhead to like finally step up into uh, not being a lackey. Like, I I think there's something else going on here. Well, Dan, if, if, if you like coups, I think I know a great place where you can talk about them or even stage them. You want me to talk a little bit about that? I don't know what you're doing, Mark, but go. (laughs) (laughs) Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of spider community of spider-man fans on slack this is terrible the amazing spider slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions movies new comics old comics and more 
Dan, what's been going on in the Slack this week? What kind of rebellion are, are you are you pushing down in the in the Slack? Well, well, you joke, Mark, but um, uh, we, the Spider Slack, have renamed ourselves the Oath Keepers, and we've got our sights very squarely set on the United States Capitol building. Uh, oh my. No, I, I don't want any calls from the FBI uh, or anything like that. No, uh, it's all good fun, all good fun in the Slack. Uh, the week we were recording this, Mark, the Slack has been abuzz with the discussion of the launch of Spider-Boy, which I know you and I are going to be reviewing in our latest Substack. Uh, so if you're curious about what we thought about it, you can go there. But I think... We can say we have pretty wildly different takes on Spider-Boy and our enjoyment at levels of it. So maybe you'll come and see yeah, well, rare Dan Mark disagreements on, on a title. I mean, you know, yes, for the sake of, of promoting our Substack, I'll say it's so wildly divergent. Um, I mean, I think it's more just like more uh, where it's just like, I'm OK with it. And you're like, this sucks no i don't know <laughs> i don't even know that i think it sucks i just still don't get the appeal of the character so um and i was hoping this first issue would really really show me that or convince me of it that. would sell you yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm not quite there yet. But anyway, uh, come join in on the fun. Come join our amazing Slack. There's a link in the description to this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. And the best part about it is the link is only available in the description of this episode. So it tends to keep out a lot of the riffraff who don't listen to the show. Like, you need to listen to the show to know it exists. And I, I think that's a really cool thing about it. Moving away from taking down the government. Yeah, let me let me let me lead us in, Dan, because I want to tell I want to I want to peel back the curtain, go into sausage making here. You know, as, as we noted earlier in this episode, Dan is terribly sick, terribly ill. Uh, it, you know, it's taking him all of his strength to muster something here. But I know why Dan is here tonight. And the reason why Dan is here tonight is because there is a mystery to unlock in this issue and Dan wants to spend, he was like look I can barely speak but I can get I can muster the energy for 30 minutes of speculation about who is the repossessor you know he, he just said like let me go let Dan cook I don't want to get in the way of you cooking, Dan. So, so you know, the big mystery, man. Who is the repossessor? I, I, I already heard that apparently, like, collectors are big on this character. I don't Wait, know is that why. is that true? Is that true? I read that. I think I read that in the, 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 what do you call it? The comic list, like, the CVR ranking or something. Like, that, that this book is, like, get picking up because people want to know who's the repossessor and why does he know Peter's identity? And it's like... And I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, that happened. Because <laughs> that's well, how I look at these things. <laughs> I can answer half of that. Uh, like, Because I, I think the clues to solving who the repossessor are are not particularly well uh, disguised unless you're Mark Giannacchio and you speed read your comics oh, or in, in one yeah, ear out whoa, the whoa, other. Whoa, oh. whoa. How would you get, how would you get recaps as uh, pointed as mine? If I was speed reading Dan, come okay, on. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Basically what we find out in this issue is that the repossessor is basically an agent of Madeline Pryor, who is like summoned forth out of her, her garden or plucked from her garden 
in limbo to basically like go to earth and get all of the whatever sinister six whatever they call them, the Insidious Six, these limbo versions of Spider-Man's rogues galleries, which now form Rec Rap's rogue gallery. But he's going to do it in like a painful way, as we saw with uh, Octoball uh, here. And it's implied that he's already gotten, I think, the Grave Goblin as well. My theory, and I don't think it's much of a theory because I think it's, I can confirm it, is that it's Gus. And if you don't know who Gus is, Gus is from early in the Wells run. He's the insurance collection agent who is coming after Peter over like hospital bills and various things and was ultimately beaten up by Ben Riley for bugging Ben Riley a few too many times and dragged to limbo where Madeline Pryor in amazing Spider-Man number 14 tried to use him to basically save Chasm. Like, he, she plucked his soul out by offering him this, like, apple that he could bite into, and it allowed her to taste of his soul, uh, where she proclaimed him a, quote, evil man, end quote. Uh, and at the time, I think you and I thought this was kind of weird to give this character such a, like, brutal death. Elaborate story. Yeah. yeah, and there's this interesting panel in page 14, which I sent to you. She uh, basically says that he's well known in limbo and that there's like something going on with his attic, like and special tools that he has there. And at the time, I thought maybe this dude's like a serial killer. This seems like a really strange thing to slap onto this insurance agent. I still think it's kind of strange given that I think he had a decent role just being a normal guy coming after bills from Peter, which we've seen many times before. But let's see where this goes. I mean, obviously, there's some setup here because um, in this issue, the tenant who Rec Rap is trying to shake down says his landlord issued him to not let anyone into the attic which corresponds to what we found out in issue 14, that there's something in Gus's attic. You know, here, Rec Rap and Grave Goblin burst through the attic, and apparently it's a mess, but Rec Rap grabs some paperwork from the attic, which ultimately leads him to Peter's apartment. I'm guessing maybe it's the health insurance stuff, but maybe there's something else going on with that health insurance thing that we don't know about. Because then when the book ends, like you said in your recap, we see the repossessor saying Parker. So he maybe has made a connection that Spider-Man and Peter Parker are the same person or he made that connection before. There's definitely something else going on here. Gus was up to something in his attic that may or may not have had something to do with Peter Parker. And this is the real mystery that hard-boiled detective rec rap is out to solve. Um, and, like, if you don't believe me, just go look at images of Gus versus the image of the human form of the repossessor. They're basically the same. It's just one of them is very ghostly looking uh, and the other one is not. Mark, is this convincing to you? 
Dan, all I want to say to you is like in my my best like Thanos voice is like what what did it cost you because you know to, to to give that recap with 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 your condition I just feel like it's like everything this all tracks and yes to 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 nod to what you said uh, before you, you you started I 100% missed all of this on my two reads of this comic before this review it took a text from Dan to be like because he was like well we all know who the repossessor is I'm like. Yeah, why don't you? But why don't you tell me, Dad? This in case you know, so I can, so I can make sure we're on the same page. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, no, no, this all makes sense. Um, with all that said, it's like, to your other point, like I don't quite understand why we're spending such bandwidth on this because, yeah, I mean, like Gus the character was introduced as part of the storyline where, you know, Peter was being a deadbeat about everything and including paying his bills. And like, it just seems like a very cut and dry situation to be in. Like, you know, like, yeah, he was, he was ignoring Aunt May. He was a bad roommate and friend to Randy. You know, he's on the outs with MJ and he owed some bills to this and this guy wanted to collect. And all of a sudden we like, up to the ante on the story. And yes, you, I mean, I, I frankly had kind of forgotten my initial reaction in, in 14 to his situation. But, you know, you, you, you bringing it up this, this afternoon reminded me. And I was just like, yeah, what was that? Like that, that just seemed weird. And it's still weird. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, that doesn't change. You know, like it's, if, 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 if this is contorted into, if this subplot with Gus is contorted to something where suddenly, there's like real stakes and, you know, drama behind it. Like, I'm frankly going to think this is I'm, I'm going to turn against this story to be blunt. You know what I mean? It's like the, like this is just this, we don't need this. You know what I mean? Like there's there's enough going on in Peter's life that actually matters for this thing that doesn't matter to be presented as it matters. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, like the, there's nothing that this character has on him that actually makes a difference in my opinion, you know? So, and there's nothing in his attic that I think would get me to care. There would have to be a really, really like interesting retcon to make it make sense. Why to treat that character in such a fashion, if not to just create a new villain or close up a plot thread or, you know, or for Zeb Wells to kind of like, in his death, punt what he wanted to do with the character down down the line, or down the field, rather. Yeah, I, I still don't get it. Maybe whatever the secret of the attic is will be something interesting. Who knows? Maybe it's even the monster from the hospital that Mary Jane had to fight. I thought about uh, that as we were talking about, like, all the weird stuff going on. I'm like, oh, don't be the monster from the hospital in any of this. I don't need that. No, I I mean like look, the only thing that could be in that attic that I think would actually have like real consequence would be like, you know, the the baby that Norman Osborne stole in uh Revelations or whatever storyline. Uh was. the one um, that you and yeah. I both want dead. Uh yes, yes, according to the internet. Um anyway, um but um yeah, I I just I I don't know what could possibly be the conclusion of this that would actually make me be like, "Oh, wow." What a payoff. I mean, you know, like talk about a slow burn. <laughs> I, it's just, you know, it's not that. Yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds. I want to commend it for not dropping the plot thread and like making this all right. weave together and be and feel like something. 
like that's like tight and was like planned out over a year in advance. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't really care, you know, like like make me care, but I doubt you're gonna get there. So, uh, Mark, what 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 grade are you giving this book? I don't think it's particularly good, but it's good at what. But it's it's funny enough to feel enjoyable. I'm B minus. There you go. It's 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 slightly better than average. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll give it a B minus as well. Uh, I, I I enjoyed it, uh, and it definitely picked me up on a really bad week of work um, that I won't get into. But like you know, coming and reading a, like a delightful Spider-Man comic uh, put a smile on my face. You know, way to go, book. Way to go, book. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, it is that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews, the same weeks the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. Heck, maybe you can buy me some chicken noodle soup to help me feel better. Uh, but a thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. And a special thanks to our newest contributor, Kirby. I don't think it's the brown pink guy, but you never know. I mean, you know, it, 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 it all ties together, Dan. Well, to download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelini, and many more, subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until we change the name of our podcast to the amazing Parker Pete Talk, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next in-